This Week in HPC. Mellanox launches 100 gigabit Ethernet switch. And new data on high-performance storage. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everybody, and thanks for listening in to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with our friends at top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Hey, Michael, how's it going? Very well, Addison. How are you doing? Doing fine. Trying to wrap up my travels for the week. I've uh, had a few delays, but I'm slowly making my way back from the East Coast, uh, where I checked out the Federal Big Data Summit, which we'll talk about briefly. But before that, I was at a really entertaining and pretty impressive launch event put on by Mellanox. Yeah, Mellanox this week had a big announcement, uh, their 100 gigabit Ethernet switch and, uh, and an adapter that they've come up with, a uh, follow-on to uh, one of the other adapters they've, they launched a f- few months ago. Yep, we were talking about 100 gigabit Ethernet with Mellanox going back to the supercomputing time frame, and that was when they had their new ConnectX4 uh, NIC capability, and we also have talked since then about other functionality that they've brought in with things like multi-host, which I, I still think is a really big deal, allowing um, allowing one NIC card to serve multiple servers as you expand things out. I, I think that's a big uh, uh, feature of these uh, environments, but the bigger news that they had that they launched to this uh, event in New York City was the uh, new Spectrum Ethernet switch, which not only takes them up to 100 gigabit Ethernet, uh, the 100 gigabit capabilities in that switch, but it also does all different speeds, 10, 25, 40, 50. And they were talking about, they had little taglines that 25 is the new 10 and 50 is the new 40. What they meant there is that you can use the same infrastructure that you already have for your 10 gigabit Ethernet environments change it out to the switch and have 25 gigabit Ethernet capability and similarly upgrade your 40 gigabit to 50. So there's a lot going on with this new Spectrum switch. Right. It's become more complicated uh, for for Ethernet providers, and Mellanox certainly responded to that with this switch, this multi-speed switch. I mean, it used to be the day where you had basically gigabit Ethernet or, or 10 gigabit Ethernet. Everything was, was uh, at those speeds. And now you've got uh, network clients, you know, storage, and they all might be working at different speeds for different types of, of workloads. So, uh, Ethernet has become a much more complicated landscape, and, uh, you know, switches like this are, are responding to that type of flexibility. Well, and I'll tell you why this is really important in two words, big data, right? We've been talking all along about this emergence of high-performance enterprise kinds of applications, uh, and that goes from big data out through cloud and hyperscale and all of these markets that we've been keeping our finger on the pulse of and are really starting to explode. That's why it's so important now that you are looking at high-performance networks. If you want to put in you know, a bunch of flash storage, for example, to get high throughput, but then you have a slow network and you can't get the data to the, the compute elements, well, all you do is you move the bottleneck, right? And what Mellanox is, is targeting here is those high-performance enterprise and hyperscale uh, kinds of uh, application areas. They had speakers from, uh, from banks at this event. They had Deutsche Bank. They had Baidu up there. They talked about Open Compute Project and Facebook with Yosemite, and it was a, a really a very broad 
broad business press event, uh, the observation deck of One World Trade Center in Manhattan. Right, and I, I think this is this is going to be a big deal for the industry. One of the things they're promising here, and they're they're telling they're saying it's the industry first. This is the first hundred gigabit Ethernet uh, switch that's non-blocking. In other words, you get wire speed out of this. There's no no drop packets. Uh, the latency is consistent no matter what the traffic pattern is. So it's right. it's definitely a high-end switch, and it's it's for you know these sensitive performance-sensitive applications, which uh, as as you were just discussing, is is sort of proliferating throughout sort of this big data landscape. It, it is, and I think this gives Mellanox a, a jump on the competition here with Cisco or, or Broadcom, which is now uh, with Avago, that traditionally these enterprise Ethernet providers haven't really thought about performance as a defining characteristic that's going to separate them from, from the competition. And it's opened the door for Mellanox to come in with their InfiniBand heritage and say, wait a minute, we know high-performance networking. And uh, honestly, I think there's a big opportunity here for Mellanox to take a bite out of this high-performance Ethernet segment. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, like you said, they have that uh, the Ethernet uh, heritage. This obviously this is Ethernet, but it's an RDMA Ethernet, so they support you know that that sort of technology. And they've got the you know different uh, kinds of Ethernet offloads they're doing. They have network virtualization built in, and this multi-host technology that we talked about before. So it's it's definitely a feature-rich uh, Ethernet switch. And the other thing about it, you know, talking about the competition with Cisco and others, it's an open Ethernet. Switch supported switch that have this right. open source API and the flexibility of, of more software choices uh, when they put these things into the field. Um, so it, it goes against, or it, it goes head to head against that sort of capability as well. It's um, sort of an extra advantage to this, this sort of architecture. Yeah, open Ethernet was another big part of this announcement and how that dovetails into things like Open Compute Project. Uh, they had good taglines around this. 25 is the new 10. 50 is the new 40. Here comes 100 gigabit Ethernet. And uh, really good messages. Uh, and that was just all around the switch. By the way, they also had a, a new NIC card, although that wasn't the, the fastest ConnectX4. They had a new ConnectX4 LX, which was a, a power and cost optimized, lighter weight version of the ConnectX4. Now, that one doesn't do 100 uh, gigabit, but it will do everything up to 50. Uh, and uh, it just gets them into a, a thinner uh, power and cost envelope. So that ConnectX 4LX was also part of what got announced at this event. Right. They had announced the uh, the full 100 gigabit Ethernet version of that a while back. So now they basically got what they're calling this end-to-end -end capability going from 10, 25, 40, 50, and 100 gigabit Ethernet throughout the portfolio, plus the uh, the, the cables infrastructure to, to support that as well. So it, it sort of fills in their their Ethernet story for, for 2015. And it seems like they're, they're kind of far ahead of, uh, or they're ahead of uh, a lot of the competitors in the Ethernet landscape. Before I move on, it bears mentioning this. This was a much more fun launch party than I typically get to go to in this industry. It was a beautiful setting on the on the hundred second floor of One World Trade Center. They had, uh, you know, this this great evening event. They had uh, Lior Souchard, the mentalist, in to kind of warm up the crowd, and he was doing all kinds of mind reading tricks, uh, revealing people's uh, names of first loves and pin numbers and things like that. It was it was. Really Really, a fun way to start the event, uh, and he was talking about his 100 gigabit Ethernet connection into people's brains. So he, he managed to tie 
and all the message with the entertainment. Uh-huh. That sounds pretty interesting. Well, you also, on your loop back to California, you also stopped into the ATARC uh, Federal Big Data Summit agenda. Was that as uh, an impressive venue as, as the uh, Mellanox one? I think it was as important. It wasn't as impressive as an event. It was in a Marriott in Washington, D.C., but I was happy to go. This uh, Federal Big Data Summit was put on by ATARC, the Advanced Technology Academic Research Center, and it was supported by MITRE, who we're already familiar with in the HPC side. But really what they had, this is their second annual Federal Big Data event, and I was impressed at the number of agencies they had represented, everything from traditional HPC stuff that we're, t- we're uh, used to looking at with, like, DOD, DOE, NASA were all there. NIH was there, but it also got into some of the more business areas like uh, like the IRS or, or just the, ge- the general administrative areas, all talking about uh, federal adoption of big data. It really showed the maturity of uh, the big data planning at the federal government level. Yeah, I mean, this is not surprising. I mean, the public probably knows more about big data and government just because of all the NSA stories, but obviously all these other agencies uh, are heavily involved in big data. They've got their own workloads and problems, and yeah, it's good to see that uh, you know they've gotten together and sort of shared uh, war stories and, and technology stories to see how they can advance the uh, the field here. Some of these were common themes that we've uh, seen before coming out of industry, particularly around the skills gap. You know, how do we get experienced data scientists? Uh, what do you need out of a chief data officer? You know, where are the skills going to keep coming from? Uh, I found that very interesting. I also poked a bit at the software needs there because that was something that interested me. And one thing I learned was that there seemed to be a, a universal preference or expectation that the software software should be open source and that the open open source has to mean free. There was very little willingness to pay for commercial software. There was a, definitely an expectation that, that the government should support the, the development of free open source software for big data. Yeah, I mean, that's been a problem with uh, <laughs> government contracting for a while. Everything's sort of... Uh, uh, leans towards the the lowest cost solution, and in, in cases it's it's off the shelf hardware and open source software, um, and sort of ignoring the fact that even even solutions like that have their own costs uh, that aren't upfront but are hidden in uh, in downstream uh, spending. Or, or you can have the debate about, do you want to spend taxpayer money to develop something that already exists commercially in the marketplace? Would it be better to just buy the software and support the company that already made it, right? Right. And in some cases, they do that. But here, it's yeah, I, I know where this is coming from, and, and it's, it's on an agency-by-agency basis. But some there is that tendency in the U.S. government, at least, to, to try and do stuff like this. Sticking with the data side for a minute, we had our own new research report coming out from Intersect 360 Research. It was our latest site census data on the storage uh, systems installed at at HPC users. And uh, why don't we spend a few minutes covering some of the highlights of that? That sounds good. That was a that was an interesting uh, user site uh, census for storage. It, it revealed a few things that you know have been trending for a while, but there was a few surprises as well. 
Yeah, we want to thank our media partners at uh, HPC Wire and uh, and the platform for doing nice little write-ups of some of the key findings. But uh, this is part of our annual site census survey, and and uh, the thing I think that got the biggest attention out of those write-ups were some of the vendor shares of survey respondents, especially DDN taking the top spot, which I think DDN was pretty happy about. Yeah, DDN came out on top, I guess, with the. Not, a, not an overwhelming majority, but they got 14.4% of the survey responses at these sites right. for systems. Um, IBM right behind. I IBM think was by it's, one site or one uh, system, I think. And then right. HP also showed pretty well. Now, I, I don't want to get into people equating this with market share. You know, This is a, a, net, a net that we cast out and people tell us what they have installed. The primary things we learned from this are not the actual vendor shares, which we can do in a separate report. But it did serve to show the real diversity in the marketplace where we don't have a dominant uh, storage leader where everybody's high-performance storage is coming from. The bigger thing to look at is the diversity of, of all of the responses. And uh, and I think that does correlate to market share, primarily because the big enterprise storage vendors like EMC and NetApp and HDS, while they sell a lot of storage incidentally, uh, you know, none of them has a, a major high-performance computing kind of strategy. And that leaves the door open for a, a DDN or a, or a Seagate or um, you know the other uh, server vendors like IBM and HP to take on a, a pretty strong storage position, it really fragments the market. Right. It, it contrasts completely with the way servers are, where you basically have the tier one uh, servers in, in leading positions in HPC. But here, like you said, it's a much more fragmented market, just simply because most of the, the top storage vendors don't have HPC storage as, as a priority. So, you get this much more uh, diverse marketplace. Going to some of the other trends that we watch out of the study, um, you know, one of the things that I've been interested in is watching InfiniBand grow as a storage interconnect, and that continued that trend where we're seeing it showing up at a larger proportion of sites, and then of course Ethernet is is most of the rest. You know, when when InfiniBand came on as a system interconnect, it did so primarily at the expense of the other high-end proprietary system interconnects that that kind of faded out of the market. A, a, around that time, and, and Ethernet stayed on. And what we're really seeing as a trend is the same thing with storage interconnects, that InfiniBand is becoming the, the de facto high-performance standard, and then Ethernet soaks up the rest. Right. It seems to be edging out fiber channel here in this case. But fiber channel and iSCSI. And iSCSI, right. And, but, and then there's this parity now between, uh, or more of a parity now between Ethernet and InfiniBand. But that sort of, was sort of surprising me to see such a large share uh, almost half of these sites uh, mentioned they have uh, InfiniBand storage, base storage installed, and that's a, that's, a, that's a hefty share. Yeah, and sticking with the high performance, we're, of course, watching the adoption of Flash. The report details not only the spinning disk, we've got data on Flash, we've got data on tape, there's all kinds of storage there. And what we see with Flash is it's really reversed the trend of people going more and more to diskless nodes. We saw, uh, you know, system disk, local disks in the in the cluster nodes fading out over time, the disks that were being used for scratch. Now they're kind of coming back as Flash is a local disk that handles a lot of I.O. Now, whether that's storage or a memory tier, you were pointing out, Michael, that's something you could debate, right? Right. You don't quite know what they're using it for, but basically it is a, a 
here between external, the conventional external storage like a disk and and memory. So it's being used for for that for that sort of data flow. I mean, whatever, however they're using it. But yeah, I mean, it flashes sort of a little disruptor here. They in the in the storage story, it's convenient enough to put in nodes, like you said. And now you you're, you're seeing more on node storage than we've seen in the past, sort of reversing that trend. And uh, I think we'll we'll see more of that in the future. I mean, flash is is now coming on strong after sort of a slow start, but I think we're in the in the steep part of that curve. So these are just a few highlights of um, a lot of details in this study. If you want to know, you know, the distribution of storage sizes or speeds of disks or uh, mapping of of, uh, of storage system sizes to interconnects, all of this data is is in the larger HPC user site census report that's gone out to our clients and our HPC 500 user group already. But uh, it's, it's always I always enjoy reading our own research, honestly, Mike. <laughs> It's, it's you know you have to do the survey to, to stay on top of the market. We we learn from our own studies for sure. Yeah, very interesting uh, segment uh, and uh, very interesting study. I, I I would encourage everybody to try and get a ha- get your hands on one. Uh, all right. Well, I, hopefully my hotel internet did, uh, didn't cut in and out too much for recording the podcast. I'm going to try to make it the rest of the way home this afternoon. Uh, but uh, thanks, Michael, for syncing up with me while I'm here. And thanks to you for listening. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 